Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and agrees with most of you about cheese and Guinness soup. I'm Kevin Day and he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, the perpetrator of that horror. Uh, how are you, Kieran? I'm, I'm very good. I'm back in Liverpool teaching, so th- this is this is my proper job and it's fantastic to be teaching face-to-face uh, again, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's the it's the vocation I love. Uh, you know, the, the rest of the stuff I do is just a hobby. Of course, don't let producer guy here. You say this is just a hobby, Kieran, for the love of God. Um, and speaking of teaching, later in the show we will be hearing from Gareth Coates, who's the general secretary of Middlesex Schools Football Association. And if that sounds a little bit dry, trust me, it isn't. It's one of the most interesting interviews we've done for a long time, I think. But Kieran, before that. It's Thursday, so some news stories. It was a pretty quiet transfer day, much as Sky tried to talk it up, as always. But there's some interesting transfer structures uh, agreed, including Aaron Ramsey's move from Juventus to Rangers. Yes, uh, a lot of people have been scratching their heads with regard to this one because Aaron Ramsey took advantage of the Bosman ruling. Um, he was able, or his his, uh, his agent and uh, advisors were able to negotiate uh, a very good salary for him, rumoured to be in the region of £400,000 a week. Um, he's now gone to, to Rangers uh, on loan, and people were saying, "Well, yeah, that's that's an awful lot of money by uh, yeah. by Scottish uh, by Scottish standards. You've you've got you've got many clubs paying uh, in in the Scottish Premiership. Yeah, some of the total wage bills are only in the region of four to five million pounds a year, and, and Aaron Ramsey's on twenty million himself. So there have been a few questions about it, um, and also the fact that it looks as if Rangers have been uh, are committed to paying uh, a loan fee. So." Did a bit of gig, gigging, a bit, a, bit, a bit of gigging. No, digging. <laughs> I'll get it right. Um, so I've done a bit of digging, and um, it comes down to something called the crescita degree in in Italian uh, tax law, um, which is which is a bit like the the old Beckham rule that I used to have in Spain. What what Italy tried to do a few years ago was to attract foreign nationals to come and work there. <laughs> Um, and the way that they did this, they said that if you are a foreign national, if you've not worked in, in Italy before for the last two years, what we will do is that half of your earnings will be exempt from the tax system. So you're only going to be taxed on 50% of, of what you're, you're bringing in. So that effectively knocks down your your tax rate in in Italy to you know, probably around about 25 26%. So... I think the concern would have been is that if uh, if, if Rangers were paying uh, Aaron Aaron Ramsey a salary in in Scotland, he would be taxed at forty five percent. So instead, he's still going to be fully employed by uh, by Juventus and taxed at the twenty six percent there. And Rangers will therefore reward Juventus for that by by giving them some money. So it's it's a very craftily uh, structured. Uh, system to uh, make sure that, uh, that that Juventus win because they 
they're getting a loan fee rumoured to be in the region of £2 million mm. uh, for, for Aaron Ramsey, who's still only 31, but he's, he's fallen out of favour there to a certain extent. Um, Rangers win because they're not having to pay uh, any national insurance because he's not deemed to be an employee. And Aaron Ramsey wins because he's he's still getting his, his, his full pay at the lower tax rate. Now, it could be that uh, you know, Rangers will have to pay some bonuses for, for achieving certain goals uh, on which he will be taxed potentially at UK rates. Uh, but it, it is very, you know, it looks as if it's been structured in such a way to uh, ensure that the, the only loser in this is going to be the tax man. You say crafty, Kieran, and sometimes it's difficult for me to tell whether you're putting the word crafty in inverted commas. Is it crafty as in clever or is it crafty as in borderline uh, not within the rules? No, no, it's it's certainly all within the rules. Right. Um, you know, sometimes people are three steps ahead. You know, they're playing, they, they are playing the system and let, let's not, pick on footballers here um all their representatives it happens in many other industries as well i can assure you uh you were getting the word digging and gigging mixed up earlier kieran but we had we will be announcing some news on on sunday where you might actually be doing some gigging as well because we've got some <laughs> yes. we've got some news about live days we've also there's another Scottish story that I want to discuss on the Sunday because I've only just found out about it, but the sponsor of a Scottish football team has withdrawn all their money from the club in protest at the recruitment of a particular player with a criminal record. So we'll be discussing that in more detail on Sunday. In the meantime, the whole city have a new owner and he's, he's quite a high-profile character in his home country here, isn't he? That's right. Um, Hull City have finally been sold. They, they've been up on the market for quite a few years. Um, the, the, the former owners, the Allen family, I think it's fair to say that there, there was a breakdown in the relationship between them and the fan base. Yeah. Um, you, you may recall the, the attempt to call the football club Hull City Tigers, yeah. which didn't go down well with the fans. Uh, and to be fair, I think the FA did step in to prevent that from taking place. But this would have been a court. This is one of the things which the, the fan-led review, uh, if, if some of its recommendations take place, this would have to go to uh, to approval yeah. from the uh, fr- from the fans' golden share uh, and so on. So, you know, it's, I think it's, it's indicative. Um, out of, um, out of well, it, to me, it looks like spite. Uh, the Allen family changed the name of the company that owns Hull City to Hull City Tigers Limited. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I would imagine that if the, the new owner, uh, Akon Ilicali, uh, who is who is, we're told is the the Spanish Simon Cowell. So Tur- he's, he's a, a, bit of a bit of a media. Sorry, Spanish. No, Turkish. I'm, I'm having a bad day today. Uh, sorry, he's the, he's the Turkish Simon Cowell. So he's been very successful in terms of the media industry. Um, he, he's bought the club. Um, he's he's promising to make changes to uh, to improve relations between the board and the uh, and the fan base. And, and the first thing he can do is to is to change the name of the company back to Hull City Football Club. Yeah. Uh, and that yeah, that's that's a relatively easy win. Um, it looks as if he's paid in the region of twenty five to thirty million pounds for the club. Um, looking at its most recent accounts, losing around about two hundred grand a week. 
Uh, it was paying a lot of interest on loans. Uh, not quite sure where all of those loans were. Um, it, it's got a quite a complicated relationship, I think, in terms of uh, the, the the stadium, which which uh, you know is the KC as far I think as far as, as most fans are concerned, uh, because the the rent increases quite a lot each year. So I think that's an area they could address. But it's it's a club with a lot of potential, um, and also some of the best fish and chips in the country. If you if you go there as an away fan. If you go there as a visitor or a home fan, Kieran, it doesn't change the quality of the fish yes, and chips. Absolutely. True, true. Um, if he is to do Turkish, Simon Cowell, I hope he wears his trousers at a proper height because the, <laughs> the UK Simon Cowell, legendary, wears them quite high. Wears them quite high, Kieran. It's quite distracting when you see him because all you can see is even why is his belt? Why is Adam's apple? That's very strange. <laughs> um, the Treasury has taken a stake in Bolton Wanderers, and, and, and to a non-financial person like me, that sounds like rather a sinister statement. Um, well, it, it, it might sound sinister, but actually, I, I think it's 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 intriguing. What happened was um, under something called the Future Fund, the uh, the, the government uh, uh, lent money to to quite a lot of companies in in the UK. This this is partially linked to COVID. Um, and it had the option that instead of those loans being repaid, that uh, when it when it came to close to the repayment period, um, they could be converted into shares. So effectively, the government is investing in uh, in, in a series of companies, and I think there's 265 companies dotted around the country in which this investment has taken place. And and the Treasury says we have specialised in innovative. Companies, so it's got some startup coffee companies. It's got um, some some fintech companies. You know, it's, it's a very broad range, and um, you know, I, I'm all in favour of of investment of startup. Yeah, and I, you know, I'd always encourage anybody if they ever get the chance to to set up their own business. It it, it is uh, it, it is a challenge. It, it will give you some sleepless nights, but the, the, there's huge senses of achievement as well. And that's something I'm always trying to encourage students to do. You know, it's, it's better to work for yourself than somebody else. Um, but what what intrigued me was this. This looks like it was a five million pound loan. I'm, I'm, I may be wrong, but uh, but it looks like it's a five million pound loan. And the the treasury, as a result of converting the loan into shares, now owns eight percent of Bolton Wanderers' parent company. Right. Um, so if you then do the maths, that values Bolton Wanderers at sixty million pounds. Now that's that's twice as much as Hull City, right. um, and yeah, Hull City uh, are in the division above. Um, we saw Sunderland go for around about twenty-five to thirty million. Um, Ipswich went for around about twenty. So um, either somebody's negotiated a fantastic deal in respect of this, uh, or um, you've you've got to scratch your head at. You know, why is the government appear to be paying over the odds? Not that, of course, that any contracts involving the government have ever been at ludicrous prices um, before. But, yeah, perish the thought. Um, so, yeah, f- fair play to Bolton, I say. I, I genuinely think this is a uh, uh, quite a uh, an intriguing uh, relationship. I, I can't see the government getting involved on a day-to-day basis. It's it's not it's not in their interest to do so. But uh, if if the Bolton board managed to to persuade them to to go ahead with this, then 
uh, I think it's it's a good piece of work by the club itself because it's eight million pounds that doesn't have to be repaid, and there can be invested in infrastructure, in in recruitment and retention of the club itself. Maybe Kieran, the the hike in national insurance is because Rishi Sunak has noticed that someone's bunged Bolton Wanderers eight million quid. Maybe that's a memo he didn't he didn't read closely enough at the time. Uh, who knows with this government? Uh, sorry, Guy, I know we're supposed to be non-partisan. Um, before Christmas, Kieran, we spoke quite a lot about Rochdale uh, fighting off a hostile takeover bid, uh, and we thought that would be the end of it. But now the company that launched that hostile takeover bid are suing the Rochdale Supporters Trust. Yes. So um, this this company is called Morton House, and uh, last summer was was quite a delicate position, I think, for for many bold for many Rochdale fans who uh, didn't feel comfortable. I think Rochdale uh, fans are very very proud of the fact that as the home of the the cooperative movement yeah. where it all started, um, that they've never had a single uh, owner who had full control of the club. Its uh, ownership has always been spread, and, and they like that idea. Um, and then some people came along and they initially bought up quite quite a large tranche of the club and there was opposition from quite a few parties. Um, and, and then it looked as if the, the, this, this organisation, Morton House, had fallen out. Um, one of the people involved at, uh, at Morton House, who's, who's apparently is their advisor, um, a guy called Andy Curran, he has been banned from all grounds in the country oh. by the Football Association for a period of 63 days um, in respect of comments he made at a, at a meeting. Uh, I think things got a bit heated uh, when, when he spoke to the Supporters Trust. He accused them of uh, being small-minded. He uh, said that uh, if the matter should be resolved, um, it should be resolved perhaps in a... Uh, in a boxing ring, oh, um, and right. then, then he accused, the, yeah, behind the car park in Lidl, yeah, great, <laughs> yes, um, and, and then he accused them of being Nancy boys. Which, what? You know, yeah, I know, and um, yeah, you know, for me, Na- Nancy boy is is one of my favourite singles by Placebo, um, and that that's about as far as I go with that. But, but you know, this is was, was, if, that if actual, to, was that the actual phrase he used? That's the phrase he's well, he's, he's alleged to have used. Um, did, did, and this, did, on, did this meeting on, take place in 1957 by any chance, Kieran? This is <laughs> well, it, yeah, it, it's it's crazy. It's um, outrageous. It, it's it's unprofessional as well. Of course, you know, if if you are going to uh, be at a at a business meeting, and also if if I'm trying to sell myself. Uh, as as a potential owner um and also you know we we had uh dale vince on the show last week and i, and I was on another uh, show with dale uh, a couple of nights ago and the, the thing he stresses and i think many good owners stress is i'm not the owner of the club i'm the custodian well yeah. if you want to present yourself to the existing custodians as somebody who can take a football club forwards then insulting them really isn't a very good way to go. So um, it looks like there's going to be some form of court case uh, with regards to what happens to to the Morton House shares. And, and this is something that we that we did mention at, at the time, that you know it, they've not gone away 
they are shareholders uh, and uh, what's going to happen to them in the future. And it looks like they're now taking a more aggressive position, mm. which is disconcerting. Uh, you know, and Rochdale fans um, uh, and Oldham fans were pretty united. I think, I think Oldham walked to uh, Rochdale um, or uh, last weekend or vice versa when the two clubs played each other. And and there's normally not, not a lot of love. You know, they are sort of local rivals, but yeah. I think the fan bases now realise that they've got more in common than sets them apart. It's a bit like, you know, Brighton and Palace. We ultimately, we would stand together on, on issues, even though as, as clubs we're rivals. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yes, we we have done in the past when Palace were about to go out of business. Uh, we have an Oldham story coming up, which is one of the oddest stories we've had so far this year. Uh, and I suspect that by December will still be one of the oddest stories we've had this year. But before we get <laughs> before we get there, Kieran, I just need to check one thing. Uh, uh, have you been seeing any other guests on the pod behind my back? <laughs> no, Just no to, I, I, get, I get invited to do this, that, and the other. As, as do you. I mean, you've been on other podcasts as well. That's true. Yeah, on, on, I have been on other podcasts. Yes, uh, that's quite true. But they tend to be about comedy, not football finance, Kieran. But this is a, this is a discussion we'll have. But let's not argue in front of the children, Kieran. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've talked about uh, eye-opening uh, squad values uh, quite often on this pod. And here we have another eye-opening squad value, but for a completely different reason. I was, I was out. I was going to say for lunch. It wasn't lunch. There was no food was involved. But I was out. I was with an ex. <laughs> <laughs> I was unfortunately. I was with an ex Grimsby player last week who told me some fantastic stories uh, about his time at the club, which is a club he loved, Martin Gritton. But Grimsby's latest accounts are out, and I think it's fair to say that the the value of the playing squad is is. <laughs> Is on the conservative side, Kieran, shall we say? Uh, yes, uh, £675, <laughs> which is, <laughs> you know, we, we, we were just about to celebrate um, the first billion pound squad being announced this season by probably by by, by one of the Manchester teams or by uh, potentially by Chelsea um, following their signings. And then uh, Grimsby's accounts came out the weekend and yeah, I've seen I've seen some uh, low low figures in, in the balance sheet, but yeah, it's very precise as well. You know, six hundred and seventy five quid, and you, you wonder who is that player? <laughs> you know, it, it must be. Can you imagine him going into training and say, <laughs> and uh, he's saying, you know, I'm I'm king of the castle here, um, and, and I'm valued at six hundred and seventy five pounds. Now, yeah, you know, it was it, it wasn't a good year clearly for Grimsby Town last season because sadly they were relegated to the National League. Um, and their accounts have come out. And it's again, this is something which we have discussed. Those football clubs that are run on a financial sustainable basis have a problem. And that problem is football's a basket case and yeah. you're likely to get relegated. So, you know, Rotherham have been relegated on a couple of occasions out of the championship, but they're normally the only club to make a profit. Um, Hull, and again, we've spoken about Hull. Hull City were relegated a couple of seasons ago. They've made a profit in the championship. Grimsby Town have made a profit in six years out of the last seven, which in, in the world of football is, is a hell of an achievement. But they're back in the National League uh, yeah. as a result of it. So um, it, it's a real tension between financial sustainability and achievements on the pitch. And clearly it hasn't worked for, for Grimsby. Again, great, great place to go. Uh, as as an away fan, uh, because it's uh, 
you know, it, it's it might be bracing, but uh, it's the food's great. Uh, can we just clarify, Kieran, because this is one of those questions where Guy, clearly the doorbell rang while Guy was typing these questions out. Uh, is it one player within the squad who's valued at that amount of money, or is the entire squad valued at that amount of money? Well, no, it, 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 it is the entire squad, but, but actually but... it will refer to one player <laughs> because all of the others will be academies, academy players and, uh, and, and Bosman signings. Right, okay, I got you. Uh, now, the Oldham story, Kieran, I mean, it just baffles me how this came about in the first place, how anybody at that club could have thought that this was a good idea, even without a recent very high-profile court case. But Oldham Athletic have been criticised, and I think that's putting it mildly, for continuing to sell merchandise with the Maxwell family name on it because there was one season uh, back in the late 80s or early 90s when... Robert Maxwell, ex-owner of the Daily Mirror, moved a printing uh, production up to Oldham and the club was sponsored with the name Maxwell on their shirt for one season. And as we know, Robert Maxwell, it transpired, was using the Daily Mirror pension fund to promote a lot of his financial activities. And of course, uh, his daughter is now in prison for uh, trafficking children. So why Oldham didn't spot this immediately and put an end to it, I don't know, and I, I know that you were one of the people who brought it to the club's attention, weren't you? Well, yeah, I, I stuck it up on social media, um, and it was picked up by the uh, the local Oldham newspaper. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. First of all, yeah, retro merchandise in principle is great. Yeah, yeah we I, love it. Yeah, you and yeah, I, we, oh, we, we, yeah. we like old kits. We yeah, love yeah. that type of thing. And if if clubs want to monetize that through a range of products, um, that that's great. So you know, so what Oldham have done, and the, the club will say, well, all that we did, we said, let's go ahead with this. We we effectively uh, we effectively outsourced this to a, a production company, you know, and, and we just advertise it on on the website. But there has to be somebody at the club that looks at what you're doing. And goes, yeah, that one's fine. That one's fine. That one's fine. Yeah. Mm, no, no, Robert Maxwell. She's Lane Maxwell. Uh, that that looks awful. So you know, it, you, you know, why somebody would want uh, an apron or a face mask with Maxwell on on it is is baffling. Okay, the the, the club's badge is there. Um, a beach towel. Uh, with Maxwell on it is is just you know completely baffling. Uh, yeah, it's Oldham. Oldham's not that close to the sea, <laughs> so so you know it, it just seemed completely um, nonsensical to, to to me. So I, I did put that up on on social media. Um, I, I think somebody uh, at one of the local newspapers follows follows on uh, on, on Twitter. They. Uh, they put it. I think they put it to the club. They yeah. put it in an article. And to be fair to Oldham, it is now being withdrawn. So yeah. this is this is the power of price of football. So you know, again, credit where it's due. Um, it's uh, it, it, it's it's the, the, the politest thing you can say. It was it was a, a an honest error. But you're supposed to have checks and balances in business that you don't make these types of dumb decisions. Yeah. Well, well also clearly they've outsourced the merchandise production to a company who have no idea about football history because you'd think that somebody there would go, hang on a second, 
you know, I, I don't blame them for not necessarily knowing what happened with Robert Maxwell. Well, they just must know that the Maxwell name itself is slightly toxic at the moment. Yes. And it, it just it yeah. just seems odd. And it's also the fact that it's just the name blares out of you. It's odd. But as you say, we all love I mean, Palace have just released a brilliant range of scarves and hats for, based on the 1961 kit. And it, I've already been told by Ali to limit myself to one what an item! <laughs> but they're great. They're lovely, and it's like you, if you're if you're sitting in a crowded Paulson's pub and you see somebody with something that you've never seen before from previous uh, generations, you you you're like a moth to a flame. But yeah, there, there are certain pieces of palace history that you wouldn't want really. You wouldn't want to wear the shirt. It's like you wouldn't necessarily expect Brighton fans to wear a shirt with knob written on it. Uh, knob, <laughs> essentially, it was knob but we've we forgot the knob, obviously. Um, and speaking well, we, of, we, we added two F's to it, <laughs> we are childish, aren't we? Um, and speaking yeah. of my club, Crystal Palace, uh, there is a financial aspect to this, but I think it's something we wanted to share anyway. Well, I certainly did, and that's the fact that Palace uh, have now created a dedicated three year aftercare package for players who are released from their academy. This is something we've talked about. Uh, at both ends, not just 16-year-olds that are released by clubs, but 36-year-olds who are released by clubs. Nowhere near enough is done to help those people who are suddenly released back into the shark-infested pool, basically, after having their hopes and dreams snatched away from them. So I'm very proud that Palace have created this this aftercare package. And I know for a fact that when Steve Parrish took the club over, he was astonished to find that there weren't already things in, in, in place for every football club. So it's taken a time to happen, but I'm very pleased it has happened. Yeah, and, and you know, huge credit to Palace here. Um, when young people get attached to football clubs, they make sacrifices. Uh, and they make sacrifices in terms of their education because they're going, they're training twice a week, they're playing for the club. And also, of course, you, you know, if, if, if you're young, you're, you're going to be distracted by by the bright lights of a prof, you know, a potential professional career in football. Of course. Um, and, and what also we see is that they make sacrifices in terms of their peer group because ev- that everybody knows. You know, the, the, the kids aren't naive. They they know that there's a there's a ninety nine point eight percent failure rate uh, as far as de- you know development through. Uh, so therefore, everything becomes focused on the football. You stop seeing some of your mates. You stop doing some other things um, in terms of your social life. You know, your outs are at, your mates are out doing X, Y, and Z. You've got to focus on your career because if you don't, you run the risk of. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're not the if you're not the ultimate professional athlete, then, then there's a danger. And I think lots of kids do make these sacrifices, and many of them still don't quite make the grade. And this is where I do feel that all clubs have a responsibility of care towards they might not have been full-time employees in the in the legal sense but they have a duty of care as as custodians as 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 being pillars of the community as being those hubs the things that we've spoken about again and again and uh yeah you know huge credit to crystal palace for doing this i think they've set a, a standard which which other clubs should aspire to yeah uh, an investigation by the admirable off the pitch has found another company which appears to have no staff no active products, barely any assets, and is registered to a mailbox in London, but is yet uh, a long-standing official partner to Manchester City. Y- yes, this is this is one of th- these very bizarre 
relationship. So this is a company called uh, Wega, W-E-G-A, and uh, I will give it its title. It is the official acoustic contactless secured cart payment partner of <laughs> Manchester City. Is it? So, something, something which I've always wanted, of course, in my life, and I'm sure you feel the same, Kevin. I, I, there are many things that keep me awake at night, Kieran, and one of them is my lack of an acoustic secure, whatever the rest of that conversation was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what's the, what's the um, acoustic bit like? Was it, does that mean it sounds like a, a secure payment thing? Or? Well, yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm lost. I tried to be too clever with that joke, Kieran. And we all know you're lo- you're away from the Baroness, Kieran. That's why you're lost. It's always the same. The yes. first the first pod we do when you leave Sussex to go to 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 Liverpool, there's always a wistful sound in your voice because you're basically your life has checked as you're now stuck in a hotel room two and a half miles outside the middle of Liverpool, rather than in the comfort of your lovely home with the Baroness. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, so this this company uh, Wager. Uh, vague waker whatever it is um it, it appears to have no products um it it appears to have no staff um the, it, to be fair to the guys off the pitch who who's you know it's a good publication off the pitch they yeah. they do do their best to 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 open up uh, some of the stuff um it's it's been promising to have some sort of esports world cup with a $15 million prize, uh, sort of trying to tie into Qatar. It does appear to have links with the Middle Eastern area, but we're not quite sure exactly what those links are. If you go to its registered address, um, it it seems to be, um, you, know, you, know those, you, know, you know, living in South London, same, same as I do working in Merseyside, those sort of... Um, that those you know they're news agents but they sell a, a few random groceries and you can post letters there um and, and what what you can also do you can use the place as sort of as a nameplate you know you can you can have you can have post sent there uh, if you don't want it to go to your house and, and they and yeah. they're always selling these uh uh you know the, the these new cigarette that Vapes. Alternatives. Yeah, yeah. yeah the sort of, that's the, right. The sort of shop that started selling baked beans during the pandemic so they could stay open. Basically, yes. yes. Yeah, we all have them. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah they've got names like you know, one of them in Liverpool. I think it's called a. Uh, it's called Vape Me Up Before You Go Go, <laughs> which is absolutely superb. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> yes. So yeah, you know, I, 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 lo- I love these. They're, they're, they're always they're, the guys. They're always really cheerful. As yeah. Well, so, uh, um, so yeah, um, Manchester City are, are being a bit coy with regards to this. Um, they don't appear to be on the official list of partners, but this this arrangement goes back a few years, um, and you you can still Google Vega and uh, you know, on and Manchester City, and something comes up on the club website from some time ago. Um, clearly, Manchester City have been subject to comment and scrutiny with regards to some of the relationships that they have with uh, commercial partners, and I think just for clarity's sake, you know the, the City had had an issue a month or two ago with a uh, some form of online crypto, whatever it was, partner, and, and that went belly up. Uh, yeah, perhaps uh, perhaps a bit of clarity from the club yeah. just just to set the record straight would would benefit all here. You would imagine that certainly a club the size of, of Manchester City uh, and a club that prides itself on trying to do the right thing. You'd imagine they would have employees or departments that are dedicated entirely to 
handling these official partners? Would you surely you'd think somebody there would be wondering why uh, there's no product or no staff mm. or no one answering the phone at these places? Would you? Yeah, yeah, and you know, due diligence for for a half a billion pound a year business is is part of the way to do things. Yeah. Manchester City are, are never never afraid of spending money on lawyers. When it, That's you know, true. We, we saw that with with what happened with with UEFA, and they successfully defended themselves against the charges. So, um, yeah, a, a, a bit more uh, a, a bit more TLC into what happens before signing the deal uh, would 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 benefit the club there. I think. Yeah. In terms of, yeah, there's, there's, there's potential reputational damage because the critics will seize upon it. Yes, having said that about their uh, reputation for turning to lawyers quite quickly, perhaps we should clarify that producer Guy and I both think Man City are a fantastic club and I have no issue with what they're doing with Wager. It's Kieran. He's the one with the problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, one news story to go, Kieran, before we were uh, a really rather interesting interview, and that's German wingback Robin Goosens, who signed for Inter, but it sounds like there's a very strange clause in his contract. Yes, um, he signed for 25 million euro. So that was that was the headline figure. But then, uh, and, he, and he's joined them from Atalanta, and, and then it, it transpires, and again, some superb digging by, by a journalist here, um, that actually it wasn't a 25 million euro signing. It was an obligation to buy. Um, and normally with an obligation to buy it's you know after 12 months you have to buy the player if if certain goals are achieved now you know, i know when when brighton sold i think anthony knockhart to fulham that was a loan with if fulham were were promoted at the end of the season then yeah. fulham had to buy the player so so these type of arrangements are quite common but the the clause that we have in respect of inter was that they have to buy uh, Robin Gosens when they score their first goal of the 2022-23 season. And you're thinking, right. what, what on earth going on there? And then you think, ah, oh, hold on, this must be linked to money. So if they had to sign him, if they had to go and sign him this season uh, uh, for, for certain, then they'd have to go and put that cost through their accounts if they're close to a financial fair play limit, there's a potential problem here. So by effectively kicking it down the road, but also from, from Atalanta's point of view, Atalanta, they they definitely want to get the money. So they, they, they want the clause to be easy to achieve. By having a, a an, an achievement which is virtually certain to take place in August uh, or or the end of July, whenever the season starts, then, then it gives it gives some benefit to Atalanta. They'll know right. We're getting that getting that our first tranche of money early next season. From Inter's point of view, there's no cost going through the books. There's no amortisation, which is going to impact upon their financial fair play calculations, which will have to be submitted to to UEFA yeah. for this season. And we've also seen, I suspect, something very similar to this with the signing of Deli Alley in respect of Spurs and Everton. Oh. Because Everton, you know, it's, it's been it's been announced as a £40 million signing. But then if you go into the small print, as we've, you know, I'm basically a small print on what, what I've seen uh, discussed in the media, there's actually nothing to pay until he has made 20 appearances oh. and then Everton have to pay £10 million. Now, how many matches do Everton have remaining this season? 
it's 18. So therefore, nothing has to be paid this season. It all goes into next year's accounts. I think it's fairly well known that Everton are operating right at the limit when it comes to financial fair play. So their fans were clearly unhappy with signings last summer. Why was that? Because they... They, they were at squeaky bum time on an FFP. So what we are now seeing is the accountants and the lawyers and, and all other people who, who possess silver tongues are realising that those clubs that are close to uh, exceeding financial fair play, there are ways of addressing that issue. And yeah, we've said this before, for every rule, there's a loophole. And yeah. These are a couple, yeah, and the thing about loopholes is that they're they're legal, and, yeah, and this, yeah. these would appear to be both uh, both that case. <clears throat> Again, as we said about Manchester City, you'd, you'd think that the people that come up with the financial fair play rules and regulations would have somebody whose job it is to keep an eye on those clubs that are finding the loopholes and then closing them. But it, it, maybe the clubs are cleverer than the, uh, the Premier League. Uh, Kieran, it's it's interview time. Uh, And we had a question from a chap called Gareth Coates about the finances of school football. Uh, And he's someone who works in the game at that level. Now, it was such an intriguing question that we decided the easiest thing was to answer it fully and in person. Also, you and I felt really guilty because Gareth asked the question a long, long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) So we thought we could apologise to him while we did it. Gareth, thank you very much for joining us. We talk often about grassroots football on the pod, but this is about as grassroots as it gets. Really, Tell us what your role actually is and how you came to be doing it. Um, I am the General Secretary of the Middlesex Schools Football Association, um, which, confusingly enough, doesn't look after schools football in the whole of Middlesex. Um, I came into it because I had got a job at the Middlesex County FA, which looks after club football as the communications and marketing officer. And I got involved with the schools to uh, build them a website. And then in 2013, I moved into the governance side of club football uh, as the competitions and communications officer. So in addition to running the county cups for clubs in Middlesex, I became the general secretary of the school's FA because at the time they were so short of volunteers, they actually um, were paying the county FA to provide admin support and although I relocated uh, from um, Middlesex to Merseyside in 2016 I've stayed involved with the school's FA ever since um, and I'm still helping them out today. And and I take it that's in a a voluntary unpaid position is it? It is yes Um, there is a small honorarium that I am paid per year for expenses and to cover the costs of running the website. But I am a volunteer, uh, as are all of the teachers and former teachers who run the 12 County Cups, the five representative teams that play under the Middlesex banner in the regional competitions and um, do everything else in between. You've just made Kieran very happy by using the word honorarium. You're you're officially the first person on this pod to use that (laughs) proper old-fashioned accounting term. Um, And talking about old-fashioned, so essentially, Gareth, we're talking proper old-fashioned 
Saturday morning, Wednesday afternoon, I'm not carrying the crossbar. It's your turn. School's football here. This, this, the sort of football that most people listening to this will have will have passed through at some stage. Yes, absolutely. If you have ever played for your school team in a county cup, um, you've played in a competition either that my colleagues are organising or that people like my colleagues are organising. Um, wherever you are in the country, there are 44 County Schools FAs, um, each with their own distinct area and traditions. But yes, Saturday mornings, Wednesday afternoons, those are the traditional times for schools football. Our rep teams play all their games on Saturdays. Um, Some of our schools teams do as well. Uh, But yes, it's uh, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, we uh, we only ever played against other Catholic schools, except one game a year against the local protestant school which got very tasty but um so you've you've hinted at what you do gareth so but just tell us a bit more data what areas of the game do you look after and tell us a bit more about the competitions that you run at the moment okay so the middlesex schools fa has overall responsibility for all schools football in the london boroughs of barnet brent ealing enfield haringey harrow hillingdon and hounslow um which were what we were left with after the Middlesex County Council was abolished. Um, quite a lot of our area got hived off into a new association for Inner London and the southwest corner around Staines, Twickenham, Hampton and the towns around there got hived off into Surrey, uh, despite being as Middlesex as it is possible to be. Mm. Um, and we run cups for secondary schools so everything from under 12 up to under 18 Um, we have one cup at under 12 which is officially a mixed competition and then we have two competitions one for boys one for girls at under 13 under 14 under 15 and under 16 inclusive we do plan to launch an under 18 girls cup but we don't yet have enough schools playing in that age group for girls but we do have three competitions for what are called senior teams um, at under 18 for boys. We have um, the Brig Cup, which is a sort of Champions League style format. It starts with mini leagues that progress into a knockout. That replaces our first 11 league. We have a knockout cup and we have uh, a knockout cup for second 11s. So that is uh, as traditional schools football as it gets. Yeah. Before we get on to the the meat of the question that you asked us originally that made us so interested and why we asked you to come along, how do you, at the moment, generate income and revenue and what are your costs? Well, I was doing some work on this uh, to prepare. We have 65 schools across our eight boroughs, um, each of whom pays a £15 per year affiliation fee. Uh, just for the right to be part of the association. So that's, that's each. Sorry, that's each school. It's not each. Each school. Pupil. Each right, school. Okay. So uh, fifteen it? pounds. It's not, and we then charge fifteen pounds per competition. Um, so, not every school enters every competition because obviously some don't have uh, the players to nominate to, to run girls teams. Some don't have post sixteen education. So the number of teams in each competition varies quite significantly. But across the 12 Cups that we ran this season, we had 330 teams across all age groups, and they each paid a £15 entry fee. So that generates just under £5,000. 
We then rely on our national governing body, the English Schools FA, um, for support. Um, they have provided us with grant funding, um, which tops up the money we make from affiliation and competition entries. We received a grant of um, £3,000 to help with the admin expenses and cover that honorarium. Uh, I don't take that much in an honorarium, yeah. uh, far from it. Um, and we also receive payments based on our compliance with their rules. So as a, for instance, because I told them exactly which competitions we run and who our contacts are at our 65 schools, um, they sanctioned those competitions and um, awarded us a grant of just over a £1,000 for having done that administrative work on their behalf. Um, so our total income, if this season had been a normal season, and it wasn't because we were actually sitting on a number of entries that were rolled over from mm. 2021, where we cancelled all our competitions. So we didn't charge the schools a second time. We simply put them back in. But if we assume that we had generated all the income that the 330 teams playing should have, then our income for this season would be just over £11,000. Wow. Um, from which we have to do everything. So we have to um, hire the grounds on which our rep teams play. We have to pay the match officials for our rep games and our cup finals. We have to pay for the medals that we give out at the end of each cup final. Um, we have to hire the ground on which the cup finals are played. Um, so we will spend almost all of that £11,000 um, just keeping the show on the road. Um, but if we do manage to uh, retain any of it, um, that will then get reinvested. That will get that will sit in the bank uh, until such time as we need it. And I'm presuming, Gareth, that so the grants that you're getting from the English Schools FA presumably are they are funded in turn by the actual FA, are they? Yes, in part. Um, they they receive uh, a substantial amount of money from the FA, um, which they then distribute to the 44 counties. Um, but they also have to pay their own staff and, and run their building in Stafford and, and so on and so forth. Um, they do have uh, a number of sponsors and commercial partners that they're working with, which helps them in that respect. Um, but yes, a lot of a lot of the funding that English Schools FA brings in at national level comes via Wembley. Um, that's just a fact. That's the reality of it. Kieran, if I can bring you in here, the FA are always quite rightly talking about the importance of grassroots football. But these are these are paltry amounts, Kieran, for something that's very important. They've they're awash with money. Uh, that's an exaggeration, but these are these are tiny amounts to run competitions that have are very very important for for young people. Yeah, the the FA in in a normal year would be generating just short of half a billion pounds now if if you if you go to their report which i do of course um they they say they distribute uh, 150 million uh, pounds went back into the game in in 2020 uh, but that that includes things such as yeah, prize money for the fa cup so you, so i'm always a little bit suspicious when i when i read some of the pronouncements coming from these organizations because they 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 like to make themselves out to be more generous than they are um, you know, mm. 
Arsenal or Chelsea getting two million pounds for winning the FA Cup is is not an investment in the game, in my opinion. And then the way that they try to reclassify things does great uh, quite a lot. The, the amount that's going to the schools FA is 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 pretty minuscule compared to to some of the bigger distributions, though. Gareth, I, <laughs> unfortunately, some things move very slowly in this world. Uh, geology is one. And getting a question answered on our pod is another. So it was quite a while ago that you asked the original question. It's taken us a long time to get you on to talk to us. It's producer guy's fault, um, as always. Everything is producer guy's fault. But you talked about the English schools FA wanting to make radical changes to the current structure. And I, I think those changes have actually happened now, haven't they? What, why have they made those radical changes and why are they? They have, and this is specifically around the competitions they offer for county representative teams um, and inter-district representative teams. So, for instance, I talked about the eight boroughs we look after. Some of those run teams in competitions we provide. Uh, in addition to the, the cups I talked about, we run four inter-district leagues at under 12 to under 15. And Barnet, as an example, might enter our competitions and also the English Schools FA Cup. And traditionally, Middlesex have always fielded teams at every age group that we possibly could. And in the last season, under the traditional knockout format, our under-14 girls were the national champions. Um, But the English Schools FA is a charity and they take the view that under the regulations that charities are governed by, they cannot run competitions if they do not generate income. And they proposed abandoning the traditional knockout format for the national competitions and replacing it with a Champions League style tournament um, where everybody went into groups and then progressed into a cup or a plate, depending on how well they'd done in the group. Now, to justify the additional work and to generate some income to justify running the competitions, this reform was accompanied by a scheme called the Player Passport, which required representative players, uh, whether they were playing for their district or their county, to pay um, £25 for this season for the right to play in English schools FA national competitions as a registration fee um, with the suggestion that that would then rise to £40 per player uh, from next season onwards. And this was something that did not sit particularly well in Middlesex Mm. because we believe that it should be an honour to play for your county. And you shouldn't be asking players to pay for the right to represent the place that they're from. So we pushed back on it, and um, I, I'm i not an accountant, but I did look at the figures that were being quoted by the trustees of the English Schools FA, and I looked at how they broke down for individual finals, and it was quite confusing. But it struck me that they were um, spending a lot of money on things like venue hire. So my original question was, how much does it cost to hire out a Premier League stadium? Mm. Because if they spend, because I don't know, and if if there were opportunities to reduce the costs of running these competitions before charging the players, then I felt that was an avenue that needed exploring. Um, 
Let, sorry, that was the question. That was the original question. Really. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to bring Kieran in on that in, in a moment. But what I don't understand, and actually makes me quite cross, is it's football at that level. It shouldn't be about generating income. It should be about generating fun. It should be about generating fitness, generating social skills, and also many of our listeners who are not from uh, London or, or Middlesex, who are from other parts of the country, other parts of the world, may be thinking, "Well, that doesn't sound that much money." to pay to play football but there are parts of Middlesex with severe areas of economic deprivation and you're going to be losing kids who who can't afford to pay that sort of money to represent their county aren't you? Absolutely um, plus there are logistical challenges around increasing the number of county games that you're asking people to play um, in addition to the national competitions there are regional tournaments and in the southeast there are 12 counties who are split into geographical groups who play in a league um, they don't play home and away they play each other once and then the top two teams in each group go into the semi-finals now the way things were and and i speak only for middlesex here was that um if you had four or five league games um, depending on the number of teams in your group and a game or two in the National Cup. And if you had a National Cup run, that was great and you found the money to pay for it and it was an adventure. Um, if you have two mini leagues, you're suddenly asking teachers and parents and players to commit to eight, nine, ten mm. games, which then causes knock-on effects on the clubs. Some of our representative team players are in academies. Some of them play in, in something called the JPL, the Junior Premier League, where their parents have paid a lot of money for the right to play in that competition. And academies and JPL games are on Saturdays. Uh. And in boys' football, county football takes precedence. But in girls' football, it doesn't, with mm. the exception of one Saturday per month, the second Saturday of the month. The FA have created an elite pathway for talented female footballers um, where the regional talent clubs have priority over the counties. And that's fine as far as it goes. It, it's it's the direction they've gone in. But it made the idea of playing in Champions Cups as well as regional competitions logistically impossible for us. And that was as much a consideration as the financial aspect because you're asking an awful lot of commitment from players and volunteers when they all have other demands on their time. Do you know what, Gareth? It's it's a much more complex world down there than I ever imagined. But let's let's ask Kieran the answer to your original question because you talked in your original question. This is how long ago it was about hiring West Brom's ground when, as a, a Premier League club, because quite rightly you wanted an element of excitement for the for the final. So you wanted kids to be able to say that they played at a Premier League ground in a in a a regional final. So, Kieran, first of all, how much would that cost to hire a Premier League ground? I know Sellers Park makes an extra bit of money, probably at least once a week or once a month, hiring the ground out to various people. How much would that cost? And also, why, when the FA have got St George's Park, which is full of pitches, why why can it not be played there? Well, in answer to the first question, it, it simply varies from club to club. Um, some clubs will say that they are constantly being asked to uh, give over their facilities 
for uh, charitable projects, for youth projects, and so on. So they do it as a uh, as a pro- as a prohibitive exercise. Um, the, the actual marginal cost of the club, especially if it's a Premier League club, is is, is next to is, is next to nothing. And I think this is part of the frustration here because we've just seen the Premier League. Uh, put out via the consultants and Sun Young a very glossy brochure telling everybody how great they are. It just coincidentally comes out shortly after the fan-led review suggests that the the Premier League does a bit more. Um, so if they can afford to pay for things like this, this should this should be done on a gratis basis because it it is the yeah. Premier League clubs who benefit the most from from youth football because they, it, it's it's the it's it's priming the pump as far as they're concerned. So there is no definitive figure. Um, as far as St George's Park is concerned, um, I, I was up there a couple of weeks ago. M- most of the pitches were being unused, so again, it's uh, uh, there's nothing which should stop the, the football association, which which does an awful lot of good, you know, and, and, and as does as, as do Premier League clubs. So we're not here just to bash them, but uh, it, I think I think it would be it would be great for the kids, and, and also if you go around St George's Park as as, as a young footballer. Uh, I mean, you know, me as an old guy, I, you know, I, I I felt inspired just sort of seeing and knowing that the you know Harry Kane's played there and and, and so on. Yeah, um, I, I think it would be incredibly uplifting. So yeah, the you, you would think giving over one or two of those pitches because there's plenty there at St George's Park should should be done as as part of the the FA's uh, investment in grassroots. Yeah, can I just jump in there? Um, of course, I I actually put that to the chief executive of the English Schools FA around the time I asked my question. I said, well, would it not be possible for the FA to provide St George's Park, either at no cost or reduced cost? And the response I got from uh, Andrea Chilton at the English Schools FA was that at the time of year that cup finals tend to fall, um, St George's Park is in high demand from professional clubs and that even if it is available, the costs to the school's FA of using it make it prohibitive, um, which I think is a massive shame and something of an own goal on the part of the National FA because I, like Kieran, I've been to St George's Park. Um, it's a wonderful facility. Um, it would be an absolutely superb venue um, for English schools FA finals and and you could put four or five on in a day yeah. quite easily um, because of the sheer number of pitches there. Um, but it's something that I am told the schools FA has explored and has been unable to do. Gareth, I've got one or two more questions for you, just one or two. Um, the first one is a slightly intangible one and I'm not entirely sure if you can even answer it, but to you, how important is schools football in terms of developing young human beings? Not footballers necessarily, but just in terms of developing young people. Oh, it's absolutely massive. It, it's it's vital because if you're playing for your school team, you, you get that friendship and camaraderie and you learn those skills around teamwork and cooperation. If you then progress into district or county uh, sides you you get to play teams from other areas you get to go places that you might not otherwise get to go and mm-hmm. see things you might not otherwise get to see and of course the ultimate aim of any successful um, schools footballer 
is to play for England. Um, I'm sure that you will recall um, the schoolboy internationals at Wembley. Yeah. Um, now, the English Schools FA does run a comprehensive international programme for under-15 girls and under-18 boys, um, but they don't get to play at Wembley anymore. Um, they play at places like Bedfont Sports and Eastleigh and wow. Spennymoor Town um, no. because... I don't, and I, I want to give English schools FA their due because they, they are very conscious of keeping the game alive and, and they do put an awful lot of the money they generate back into counties and back into districts because it's incredibly important. But it is being squeezed massively. Um, we have fewer schools playing in our county cups because teachers don't have time to take teams um, or can't get them out, get the players out of lessons to travel to away games. Mm. As a, for instance, we have fewer districts running in our inter-district leagues because people don't want to give up their Saturday mornings or don't have time to give up their Saturday mornings because teachers are catching up on their marking and club coaches have got club commitments either on a Saturday or on a Sunday and can't do both. And, and schools football, not just in Middlesex, um, where we've actually seen a slight upward tick in terms of schools participating if not districts but nationally is under pressure that it's never been under before Mm. because of the rise of things like the jpl and because there is so little support for the county schools fas other than that provided by the national governing body Uh, gareth we've we've seen recently the publication of uh, tracy crouch uh, fan-led review into football is something she, Kieran was part of. And we've spoken to Tracy Crouch a couple of times, uh, both before and after the review was published. And Tracy represents um, a party, a political party we don't support. So in my attempts, in, and, and I, f- I feel slightly bad about this, because in my attempts to be non-partisan, I didn't ask her about something I should have asked her about. And that is the the Tory party back in the day, enabling the selling off of huge areas of football pitches and playing fields. Is that still having a knock-on effect? And what did you make of her comments about grassroots football in that review? It is it is having a knock-on effect. Um, to, to quote from one borough um, in, in our patch, in Harrow, I think there are only two out of 14 secondary schools that still have full-size football pitches. Wow. Um, because the facilities just aren't there anymore. Yeah. And so they, they have to use park pitches nearby or or they have to play away. And that has a knock-on effect on participation and on, on budgets because if schools have to hire a pitch, that's money they're not spending on other enrichment activities or, or heaven forfend, on books. Um, <laughs> I think... I think Tracy's comments um, were sensible, but I think a lot of emphasis um, when people think about grassroots football, they think about clubs. And I totally understand that. There are far more clubs in Middlesex playing football than there are schools. Um, You know, even if 100% of our schools were playing in our competitions, that would still only be three or four times the amount we've got now 
whereas the last time I checked, there were approximately 500 affiliated clubs in Middlesex, albeit over a slightly different geographical spread. Mm. Um, And the clubs do need to be nurtured and they do need to be supported. And I completely understand the help that they ask for because I've been involved in football clubs myself. I've been involved in non-league football at adult level since I was 10 years old. Mm. Um, So I get that. Um, With schools football, yes, it would be nice if there was more money available, but it's not the be all and end all. The, The biggest resource that any school's FA needs, any school football team needs is people. And it needs people to to have the flexibility to be able to take teams. It needs head teachers to say, okay, yes, you can take the minibus to play school X in a cup game, where at the moment that is getting harder and harder to achieve. Mm. And, and that's the problem that schools football faces. And perhaps it's because clubs have become more influential and, and have got bigger um, that that's the case, but I, I don't think I don't think the Premier League um, should be beaten up too much. I, I know that um, I know that there are a number of really good initiatives being undertaken by Premier League and EFL clubs to support schools football. Um, they put on tournaments. Um, I have attended meetings at the Premier League offices when before they moved to Paddington, where they made the facilities available to the regional schools FA free of charge. So it's not that there isn't the support out there. The, the biggest challenge we've got is actually people and facilities. I love that phrase, enrichment activities, those small things that make your life better, which don't cost much to facilitate. You, you sounded a bit more upbeat at the end of the, your answer to that question, Gareth. So is there a future for schools football? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, of, of course there is. As long as as long as there are kids that want to play, um, there will be people who want to organise those competitions. Um, we've been very fortunate in that a few years ago, I wrote to all of our schools and said, listen, if we don't get some more people coming forward to run cups, they're not going to run. Right. And that helped us to recruit a fantastic team of dedicated teachers um, who run the county cups. I don't administer any of our 12 county cups on a day-to-day level. Um, As the general secretary, my job is to intervene if something goes wrong and and to Mm. interpret the rules if there's a dispute or, or a deadline missed or whatever. Those competitions are run by teachers who are working in schools day in, day out, and then giving up their time of an evening to talk to their colleagues in other schools and make sure those games happen. Um, So I wouldn't say that the future is completely bleak for schools football. Um, What I would say is that it is a precious um, and special branch of the game that needs a bit of a hand. Um, But if the powers that be are willing to support it, and by that I don't just mean the FA, I don't just mean the schools FA, I mean the Department of Education, they, they should be providing space in the timetable for team sports and not just football, uh, cricket, rugby, um, 
basketball, netball, all of those mm. things. You know, it, it's not about it's not about oh, football needs this, football needs that. It's about what our our children need. Um, I mean, I I don't live in Middlesex anymore. I, I live two hundred miles away. I, li- I live in Kirby in Merseyside, but I, I do this because I love doing it and. Up here, um, my daughter's primary school held a, a botcher competition and, and they then um, went and represented Nosley at the Merseyside Youth Games. And it's those activities that need to be given the space and the resources to thrive. Um, and it doesn't matter where you are in the country. There should be, you know, we should be doing more than just teaching kids how to go out into the world of work. We should be teaching them how to be good people. And team sport in all its forms is so vital to that. Uh, Gareth, it's been uh, a pleasure talking to you, um, and I've genuinely <laughs> learnt a lot uh, about schools football. And I think people need to know the problems and the joys of working down at that level. And I'm sure Kieran will join me in saying that we we talk often on, on the pod again, not just about grassroots football, but about the fact that so much football in this country at levels below professional football relies on volunteers like yourself and those teachers. So we'd like to, on, on using you um, as an example, we'd like to thank all of them. I think Kieran will for the time they, they, they give voluntarily to help young people. So Gareth, we wish you the very best of luck uh, for Middlesex schools and for uh, Kirby as well. Now you're up there. Um, um, look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you. Kieran, I'm going to be honest with you here. Uh, as you know, I like to be honest with you, Kieran. Uh, that's how our relationship works. For the most part, on air, we are honest to each other. When producer guy suggested uh, Gareth as an interview, I, I wasn't 100% enthusiastic. I wasn't entirely sure there'd be enough in the story to make an interesting interview. Plus, uh, you know, as with most of Guy's suggestions, you always kind of think, what's he up to? Uh, like when he suggests that I feed his cat and I point out that I live 200 miles away. That sort of, <laughs> that sort of thing. But I, I found that interview one of the most interesting and informative. Uh, yeah, ironically, about schools football, I learned a lot. And you just, again, it's like so much of football, it relies on volunteers. And it seems that all that the FA and the English Schools FA want to do is make life harder for those poor sods who spend all their time trying to get youngsters playing football as, as Gareth memorably said uh, get them involved in an enrichment activity and it's like don't, you know, don't start charging the kids to play football to represent their, their counties it's just not right is it yeah you, you want you want access for as many people as possible and yeah we, we know that there are many families at present who are living right on the edge <laughs> and parents are making sacrifices the kids are are achieving fantastic success by being chosen to play for their local county counties and so on, and 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 also for school. Yeah, you know, I, I I didn't play very often for my school because I wasn't good enough, and I, and I well, I was always you know in awe of those people that did. So we've all got different skill sets as well. So it's fantastic that we've got some people, young people who who are who are good at that football. That should be encouraged. It's it does help education, it does help in terms of health, it does help in well-being and to put financial hurdles in front of it is 
ludicrous. And and the yeah. the stories about not being able to play at St George's Park. I mean, I've yeah. I've, I've been lucky enough. Yeah, I've I've taught there, and. When I go there, I'm just sort of absolutely awestruck because they've got all these photographs of the England players. They've got shirts signed and so on. And you do feel as if you're walking on air. And to deny that just for one day for you know some kids who, 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 who remember this and talk about this for ages is just plain daft. Yeah. I don't know if I should admit this out loud, Kieran, because it's going to make my school sound a lot more posh than it actually was. But uh, I played for the school hockey team. Uh, and we won uh, South yeah yeah it's not something I'm proud of it's just we had one teacher who'd been uh, shall we say offloaded by another school who ended up at our school uh, happened to like hockey so we started a hockey team and all the kids who couldn't get the football team thought well that's right great that's another way of getting out of lessons on a Wednesday that's fine Uh, um, I got my nose broken really really badly by uh, somebody in my own team who I still go to football with and still claims it was an accident Smack me around the face with a, with a hockey stick, but uh, it left me with uh, an impaired sense of smell, um, which dries Ali up the wall because I spend twice as much money on aftershave as everybody else does because I can't smell. I just <laughs> I put <laughs> I put about half a bottle on at a time, and she just goes, "It's like Pepe Le Pew can hang his nose on this." <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I loved. It. I was I was very proud to represent. It's not so much proud to represent the school as such because it makes it sound like bloody eating or harrow, but I, I was proud. You know, you get you and your mates, you, there's a, a spring in your step when you, you're, you're allowed to leave early because you're, you're going off to play a sport, and it's 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 great. You're fitter and better for it. It's just, and for the amount of money that Gareth is saying they need, it, it, you're talking about literally peanuts as far as the FA and English schools FA are concerned. It would make their life so much easier, and it's just. It's just wrong, and I, I suspect that part of what it is is because maybe the FA and the English schools FA think, well, these kids are obviously good footballers, but they can't be that good because otherwise they'd be in academies. So, you know, they're only doing it for enjoyment, and that's we don't need to subsidise their enjoyment, which is a – it seems to be something that – again, we're going to be part of that. It seems to me that this government are quite keen on. It's not subsidising other people's enjoyment or education, but there you are. Uh, if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our pod, then that's very kind of you. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash price of football. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of football.com. Our next episode is our questions pod on Monday, but we will also be giving details of our first ever live show, hopefully the first of six or seven this year across the country. I promise you it will be cheap to get in and it will be value for money and there will be pictures of dogs and cats and we're going to put our foot down and not have small paper cups of cheese and Guinness soup as a welcome when <laughs> people when people come in. Uh, in the meantime, before that exciting news on Monday, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, uh, thanks again for all the support and all the feedback that you give to us. Uh, we, we, we genuinely appreciate it. Um, we, we're not quite sure why we, we, are, we seem to be generally well-liked. I mean, there's certainly some people that do take us to task, and uh-huh. and, and that's that's fair and proper in a democratic society. Um, but uh, if you want to support the the show, uh, Patreon is is one way, again, for just uh, you know, £1 a month, uh, you, you can do that. Um, but you can... You can send us some good karma. You can send us some positive vibes by by going on to the app which you use to uh, listen to the show 
and uh, and giving us a review. Um, and and if you if you think you know, you're enjoying what we're doing, if you give us five stars, that's absolutely fantastic because that goes into an algorithm which which producer guy understands and myself and Kevin, we just nod at him whenever he talks about it. Um, it, it. It doesn't matter what you say. You could say you'd rather have the show presented by Nadine Dores and Big Dan Byrne, both of whom have been noted, noted to take one for the team recently. Um, and uh, it makes not a blind bit of difference to us. That's <laughs> very funny. Uh, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I shouldn't try and say goodbye when I'm chuckling. Uh, all I will say is uh, thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully, we will see you some, uh, uh, some of you at the live gig. I, I can't wait because we'll get to meet producer guy for the first time here. Yes, <laughs> he'll, he'll probably send a hologram of himself. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the